Come on. Welcome to Light Blood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Dr. John Leaf. John, are you ready to do this? Oh, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. Dr. John is a neuropsychiatrist with a BA in mathematics from Yale and an MD from Harvard Medical School. His newest book is The Secret Language of Cells. Again, John, excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Well, I uh, I started out in um, treating un, uh, people that needed care and weren't getting any, the elderly and brain injured, and I ended up uh, starting programs in those fields. And I, I spent many years treating complex cases in hospital programs combining medicine, neurology, and psychiatry. And I was always interested in, you know, medical people have psychiatric issues and psychiatric patients have medical issues and neurological, it's all really uh, combined. And I kept wondering what the mind was in all this. And uh, that stayed an interest of mine, but after many years working with patients and running programs, in the last 10 years, I've devoted time to looking into the science of where, what mind is and where it might be in nature. And I started a website to uh, explore these topics. And I started writing about the human brain, but then showed that there is no center of mind. There's no center of subjective experience. It's not modular like they thought. It's just highly integrated. Everything is talking with everything else. And uh, it led me to study animal brains. And I studied insects, wrote some articles on bees and ants and termites, how incredibly smart they are. And then I came to cells and um, how smart microbes are and even viruses. I wrote about viruses. And then it, after years of writing articles every week, uh, which were really translating uh, advanced articles in the best journals, and it's all gobbledygook. It's like a foreign language. It's receptors and genes, and no one can understand it. Even down the hall in the lab, they don't understand what, what the other one's talking about. So I was basically translating it into English. And then it dawned on me there was no book describing what it's all based on cells, intelligent cells communicating and talking back and forth and making elaborate decisions. And that all of biology and all of life is based upon that. And that's what the book is about. I go through cancer cells, blood cells, T cells, brain cells, microbes, and, and then even down to molecules. And now I'm working on my second book, taking that same theme even deeper into molecules, how they talk, but also bigger, how uh, the superorganism of human beings, how communication at every level is what life is all about. Yes, certainly. When, 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 when you're doing this work initially, did you sort of get a hunch? Like, I think that they're all talking to each other or did that come early or was it like a light bulb moment? No, it came late, actually. It was through years and years, 10 years of, of, of just constantly translating article after article after article. At first, I was looking like everyone else in the brain. Like, is it in the brain? But, there, huh. but it isn't. It, it's, you can't find a center of, of subjective. In fact, we don't even have a definite. So we don't have a definition of subjective experience. We can't describe intelligence. Our whole science is, doesn't have any explanation for mind. And as I searched further and further, I could see 
you know, the influence of what could be mined at smaller and smaller levels. And then you find what looks like intelligence in cells and even viruses. Um, I have to consider that, I mean, my own view, which is a speculation, but I, I, everything in my book is science. It's no speculation at all. But the speculation that would come from this is that mind exists throughout nature in some way and does exist in cells and then communities of cells. And we're like a super community of community of cells. And then there's a community and community of humans in the internet and it goes on and on, but it starts, at least cells are near the beginning. I'm actually going deeper now than that. And I see signs inside cells uh, of communication. And with communication, by the way, goes cooperation. Our body exists because of massive cooperation between billions and trillions of cells. So this idea that everything's competitive that came from a misinterpretation of understanding Darwin, who said great things, but it's all been misinterpreted into the fact that uh, most of it is cooperation and communication, 98% of what goes on. And then, uh, and that goes all the way down deep inside the cells. Fascinating. So I'm fortunate to have uh, two kids, five and two. Nice. And, and, and through my five-year-old, I've gotten to do a deeper exploration into ants than I had ever done before. And it's crazy. That, That's that my they... favorite. I, I wrote many articles on ants. You can Google them. And the, the latest one is, it's an update. Um, that's my most popular for every year it, that by far more people read this ant article than anything else. Ants are probably the dominant small creature on the earth. Uh, but what's very interesting about ants, I mean, the hive is interesting and that is what is a hive and how does hive, I mean, we're a hive too. I mean, mm -hmm. and the internet's a hive and a swarm is a hive, but if you study the individual ant, it's highly intelligent. They have 50 different ways of finding their way back to the nest. They can learn a new way. They've taught ants like to use magnetism to find their way back. They, they count steps. They look at the sun, individual ants, and they learn from mentors. They listen to their wise elders. They medicate. They understood farming 100 million years before we did. They farm fungus. Um, they're amazingly intelligent. You know, termites are equally intelligent and bees are also. Termites build a structure that's more complicated than we could possibly build. You know, we're putting people on the moon, and uh, big, but we can't build what they build. It's like a skyscraper, the size of a skyscraper that's completely uh, engineered to keep the moistness, the humidity exactly right. In the desert, it becomes an oasis. Anyway, and bees, of course, have abstract language. They, uh, they understand five miles of different flowers and how to get back and forth between them. And uh, they have symbolic logic anyway, but cells, <laughs> cells are amazing and viruses are amazing, very complex lifestyles. So it's all through life is this intelligence. Um, so I'm just describing that. I can't really explain it yet. I have my ideas, but hmm. I'm just trying to show within Western science that we are actually showing this intelligence in nature, which scientists are so reluctant to even think about. Why is that? Because they can't figure it's it out? Because we're materialists. We don't have any explanation for it. We don't have any explanation for subjective experience because our whole science 
is based that everything is matter. The brain scientists today say mind comes from the brain, but there's really no reason to believe that's true. And there's a lot of reason not to, I mean, the mind that's going on right now isn't in my brain or your brain or the listener's brain, it's in between. And culture is in between and science is in between. So mind is not in brains, mind uses brains, that channels brains, uh, we, we don't know what it is. We don't have an explanation. So I'm just trying to show. And because of that, the scientists deny that mind exists. But obviously it exists. Everyone knows it exists. I mean, that's the most obvious thing there is, is that the subjective experience exists. So when people ask you what, what you do, what, what, what do you do? Well, I'm by trade a neuropsychiatrist and an expert in psychopharmacology. And uh, actually in the 70s, I uh, was an expert in psychedelics. I ran a course at the Kennedy School of Government and then it became illegal to do research. We had then, I'd gathered all the researchers in the country and uh, was very involved because it was, it was interesting about the mind, you know, when I was at Harvard. So, uh, but I then became a neuropsychiatrist, studied neuroscience, developed programs for brain injury, the elderly. I was a bit of a pioneer in programs. But then my real interest has always been science and what is mind and uh, where are we going? Where's science going? So is it a function of that you, and I, I don't, this is something that I've been kind of thinking about myself lately. Is it that you are part of the, the, the process of, of, of advancing this and getting us closer to understanding, or is that not an important thing to you? It's very important to me. Uh, the, the way things change, the old professors dig in because of their grants and the money invested in their ideas that are now outmoded, and, but they won't change their mind. So the old professors stay the way they are and they die off. And it's the young people with new ideas that become the professors and they become the scientists that run the labs. And uh, so... I see myself as part of a change. I see myself as showing, using what, I determined to use the best of Western science. In other words, I only take it from Science Magazine, Nature Magazine, the top journals. And I translate this gobbledygook into English from the top journals. <laughs> and then I'm showing intelligence in cells and in nature. So that's kind of amazing because and that's the future of medicine. All medicine is based upon that. And it turns out the definition of life has to change because it's not just a cell with metabolism. It's a cell that can communicate and that knows and that understands and makes decisions and travels and influences and responds. So it's, a, it's an intelligent cell and even an intelligent molecule. That's my next book, which is really far-fetched. Uh, but uh, that's pushing it way further, but cells we, we can accept because that's where medicine is at. All the new treatments, the advanced cancer treatments are all based on the natural communication between cells, using viruses that naturally communicate to attack a cancer, using immune cells to talk with the brain. The brain and the immune talk together constantly. Uh, that's, that's how uh, the new explanation. Uh, so there most of the research of the connection of all the cells has been the immune in the brain. And in the immune in the brain, the, uh, it goes both ways. So in one way, 
the T cell sends a signal to the neuron to create the sick feeling when, we, when we're sick. And so we get sick, we lie down, we have to take care of ourselves. And only the T cell can say, no, now we're not sick, go back to normal thinking. There's uh, new brain cells, small number of new brain cells are made in the memory centers every day. And the T cell is the one that says, keep going, use those to make more memories. When we get depression, uh, that process slows down and we get that brain fog from depression. It's the T cell that's saying make less. And then it says make more when, when we're feeling better. So the T cell and the brain cells both respond to infections, but but to perceptions and to isolation and to thoughts. Um, in the opposite direction, the brain cell. So when we meditate, we all know that the vagus nerve calms the heart, the breathing, the gut. But we didn't know how can why would meditation improve immunity in 200 different ways, 200 different cytokines, the signals are improved with meditation. Well, it turns out that the neuron can also influence the T cell and create immunity or inflammation. It can do anything in, in the realm of immunity because they're really one thing, one cell. And so it's the vagus nerve also in the spleen sending signals make better immunity. No one understood that. No one understood acupuncture. Like it's not near a neuron, it's not near a blood vessel. What, what is it? Where's this energy thing? Well, studies now show you, you trigger, a, a, you know, on the wrist, a, a point and you electrify it. Turns out it signals to a T cell sitting there. It moves around, it signals to the neuron, it goes through the brain and it goes to the, to the other part of the body. So again, this neuroimmune communication circuits. This is also can explain advanced pain syndromes. There are many, many pain syndromes involving many kinds of cells, not just neurons. Neurons, astrocytes, microglia, uh, even T cells, even skin cells, cancer cells, microbes are all part of these circuits that create chronic pain syndromes. And so we're learning about that. That's, that's the future of this field. This field is opening up medicine. And so I wanted to make it clear to everyone that this is sort of where we're at, and this is what matters, and this is the future of all of medicine. Fascinating. So how, if at all, does, does religion factor into your life and into your work? Well, religion's a funny word to me. Uh, God? <laughs> is a lot of things. It's, uh, it, it's spiritual people, and it's phony politicians, and it's... Uh, tyranny and its uh, uh, saintliness. It's, so to me, in every religion, there are good people who understand the basis of the religion is that we're all the same, that we all share the same breath. We all share this planet. We all share. So to me, uh, all the religions are the same in that the good part is exactly the same, and they're all also crazy and horrible and killing each other. Uh, so the uh, that's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing at that, John. Yeah, well, it's sad, but it's true. So but to me, it's more a matter of spirituality and nature that we are. We breathe out carbon dioxide, the plants breathe out oxygen. We're one. We can't separate. So it's more like the, the uh, Native Americans uh, uh, 
Chief Chief uh, Seattle said the, that the rivers are our brothers and sisters, the trees. I believe that. That's more or less what I believe. Got it. So your early work or earlier work with, I think you said psychedelics and then getting down to the molecular level, is it all coming full circle, John? I guess it is. But, uh, you know, in, in 1970, we, I gathered all the top researchers, Dr. Pankey, uh, Stan Groff, and they were doing different kinds of treatments with psychedelics, the, big, the uh, high dose, low dose, with, with criminals, recidivist criminals. Uh, Walter Clark did that. He's a close colleague of mine. Um, worked with depression. They did the, the Easter study uh, where they had the priest, a double blind study, and they showed that the priests who took psychedelics had a wild, their, their most far religious experience, and the ones who didn't had a mild, pleasant Easter. Um, and it showed substantially. And I, I, I published papers in the American Journal of Psychiatry. And what I showed was that those who took a lot of psychedelics and then stopped, that's what the group I studied because everyone was thinking that was causing brain damage. We showed it doesn't cause any brain damage, doesn't cause any, they were saying it caused uh, mutations. That was all crap, didn't cause any of that. What they found through that is that alcohol and cigarettes too, but not psychedelics. And that, um, that all of these people move shifted in some spiritual direction. Catholics became more Catholic, Buddhists became more Buddhist. Some people just did more service, people got more uh, spiritual. So it did have an effect in terms of moving people. And then it was all illegal. And we couldn't even do research for 40 years. Hmm. So I said, what the hell, you know, I went on with neuroscience, but we missed 40 years of studying the probably the most significant brain chemistry there is. Uh, and now it's opening up again. But so far, everything that they're talking about has been done. And I have a, a post on my website describing that. They're about where we were back then, showing how valuable it is, but just beginning. But now the neuroscience is so much better, we begin to understand it. But it's still very, very surprising what the MRI show. And I mean, I keep up on all that, but I'm more... Um, I mean, I'm very interested in that, but we're not there yet. But you're talking about what happens in the brain with spirituality also. I mean, there's that whole uh, aspect, but you can't measure that with, you know, when you have a spiritual experience, you can't do an MRI. You can't duplicate it. It just happens. Mm. It happens rapidly and, and it, you can't predict it. So you can't really study it. So all the studies are inadequate. And of course, there's Eastern and Western science. I stay in Western science with showing what is proven in Western science through material and energy. But in Eastern science, they, they study subjective experience and they use meditation as a telescope, as a microscope to go deeper and deeper and just see the lay of the land and study the, the topography and the, and the terrain of the various uh, levels of the mountain, you know, different plains of different things. And they've studied this for thousands of years. So that's a different science. We can't prove any of that. So we don't call it science, but one day they'll, uh, they'll merge in some way. I like it. Well, John, the people are ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Well, obviously, what you eat, sleep, exercise, 
decreasing, re-remembering trauma to decrease it are all good. But the most important idea, I think, is that all of nature, by far and substantially, all of our cells, all of our bodies are cooperative. That it's 99% cooperativeness, not fighting. And I think we have the wrong view of what science is telling us. So I think that's important to know that we should realize that we're all part of one thing and hopefully we'll learn that in time to save humans on the earth. Well, I think that that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. What do you think, John, about 50-50 chance on that deal? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm in the woods. I'm hiding in the woods. Um, literally. <laughs> yeah, literally. I love it. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you? Where can they pick up a copy of The Secret Language of Cells? Well, um, it, it, it's available everywhere, although the publisher ran out of hard copies, I think. So unfortunately, it's going to come out in paperback soon. There are some available at various places. It's on Kindle. People love the audiobook. It's won awards for the audiobook. Um so I think it's still available, but it's getting more expensive, the, the ones that are around. And then the paperback will come out soon, and that will be available. Uh, but my website is called Searching for the Mind. And my Twitter, uh, or it's called John Leaf MD, but no one can spell that is the problem. But it's J-O-N-L-I-E-F-F-M-D. And that's my Twitter handle. I'm very active on Twitter, so people can join in. I put out articles every day. And I put out some of my posts every day on Twitter, uh, as well as Facebook, but I'm not as active on Facebook. Twitter is like very active, and people can communicate. Uh, and they, if they want to send me an email, they can do it through the website. Um, so I'm pretty available. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, show John your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to searchingforthemind.com. Also, johnleafmd.com. That's J-O-N-L-I-E-F-F-M-D.com. And pick up a copy, if you can find one, of The Secret Language of Cells. Thanks again, John. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.